Hey, we uh, talked about it last week. What's that? You're hogging the table. Yeah, sorry, hogging the table. I do a lot of those things, right? Like any men, like same thing, right? <laughs> like I'm the one. Um, anyways, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, and I want to do this as we kind of focus on this. You know, the, the, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about relationships. And if you notice the first couple of weeks, we talked really about our just relationship with other people. You can apply it to marriage, um, but you can also apply it to your everyday relationships, whether with coworkers or, or neighbors or, or friends, uh, family members, and things like that. Um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to jump into marriage. Um, but I do want to let you know that um, a lot of these principles, just like I said before, are going to be able to be applied um, in your relationship. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is one of those verses that oftentimes gets used in weddings, right? Um, Everybody talks about it. Everybody's like, yep, that's the wedding verse. Um, But the reality is it's beyond that, or it's before that in in all aspects, Um, because it's a definition of love, right, by actions. And, and Jesus lays that out. And so I do want to uh, take a, a, a time just to invite you, if you um, are married or wanting to get married, soon to be married, maybe you have plans in the future to get married on uh, Friday night. Uh, we're having our date night, 7 p.m. I, I can guarantee you, you won't want to miss it. Um, Dr. John Marshall and his wife, Ruth, um, are coming in. And uh, matter of fact, uh, Dr. Marshall, just this morning on Facebook, 56 years in ministry right? Like I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, 56 years of ministry. And, and, and you will be encouraged and blessed uh, by them as they just talk about things that really go into marriage and what it looks like. And, and here's the thing I want people to know, right? Like marriage is one of those things that if you don't work on it, it's like a car, right? Like if you don't work on your marriage, like eventually it's going to break. And Sadly, like I'm just here to say this, there's a point in time that once it's broke so far in our society, in our culture, it's over. So if you're not willing to work on it, then, then there are some issues. And, and listen, I don't care how long you've been married, right? Like you should work on your marriage. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. It takes selflessness. It takes all of those things. And, and I want to encourage you, sign up Friday night, 7 p.m., 7 to 9. You'll be encouraged. We've got dessert stuff set up. We're going to have a fun time with some games beforehand, and you'll be encouraged with that. But listen, relationships are valuable. They're life-changing, right? We experience the points of joy, excitement, you know, enthusiasm, encouragement, and passion, along with times of disappointment, right? Heartache, hurt, tragedy, and all of those things are relationships. Over the last couple of weeks, we looked at one. Number one, we talked about how if you want to have strong relationships, you have to have a strong foundation, right? We said you got to build, you got to build upon your word, right? We just sang about Christ, the cornerstone. And you've got to build the foundation of your relationship on that. Let Jesus be the one who aligns everything. That's, that's, that's really the thing. And then last week... Last week, we talked about how pride built, builds barriers... And humility builds bridges. Bridges. <laughs> Obviously impacting, right? <laughs> hey, let me tell you, I, I do want to say this. Like, this is one of the reasons why I say, if you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, right? Like, 
most people will forget stuff in a sermon, but if you can remember the main idea, you can always go back. And here's my other challenge, like as, as a believer, I can tell you this, I believe that you should journal and note and write things down because it's always good to go back and go, that's right. I need to remind myself of this. That's that why I have notes too. Right, so right. <laughs> my brain stops working. Right. The irony so. of that is that that was a statement actually that I found. <laughs> I couldn't even remember it to tell you. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, we tweaked it a little bit. But uh, anyways, l- listen, as we jump into love, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want you to just kind of understand what's going on. God has talked in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about, of, of, about all of us being part of the body. Right? And he says, like, some have one gift or one calling, and some are called to be a toe, while others are called to be, you know, the brain, while others might be called to be an arm or a foot or things like that. And, and then he comes to this part in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says, listen, not everybody's going to do the same things, but here's, here's how it all wraps up, right? In verse 13, or sorry, verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men, and of angels, but have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, right? Like if you were to think about that, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Like, in other words, if I have all these spiritual benefits, nobody likes to hear that constantly. Like, like could you imagine that? <laughs> like every time I... Every time I tried to talk, it would be, and, and, and think about it this way, right? Listen to what he says again. If I speak in the tongues of men, in other words, it's a language that others know, and maybe I haven't studied one of the things that we look in Acts and see that, but he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and yet have not love, I'm a noisy gong, right? And I've oftentimes tried to think about that in my life. Like, how as a believer do I speak to others, right? Because I could speak big religious words and big things, but if I don't express or show the love of Christ to them, then what am I? A noisy symbol, a resounding gong. Like if we were to actually bring a gong in here, I'm sure all of us ears would be blown out. Like a remember the old gong show, right? Um, that shows my age just a little bit, but uh, anyways. So listen to what he says in verse two. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. So he says, at first, you're just a noisy, resounding gong. And then he comes back and he says, listen, if you do all these things, but yet you don't love, you're nothing. And then he jumps in and he says, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And here's the reason why. Because love comes from God. God is love. What we see all throughout Scripture is that reality. That is, as we play in, if I want to love the way I am called to love, then I am called to love in Christ first and through the power of Christ. And so when, when we start talking about marriage and relationships and things like that, we have to begin to understand that there is a supernatural love that has to take place within a relationship that only stems from or only comes from God Almighty above. That's the only way you're going to get it. That's the only way you're going to restore a broken marriage. That's the only way you're going to get over that next hurdle as, as you go through that. Because listen, 
all of us build barriers. We talked about last week, right? Pride builds barriers, but humility what? Builds bridges, okay? The, the fruit of the Spirit is Galatians, right? Galatians chapter 5 says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, love. joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Uh, I, I know I forgot one. Anyways, you get the picture, right? That's a fruit of what the Spirit does in your life. And so love is an overflow of what God is doing in you because God is love, that God gives you the love that you're able to give to others all around, right? So we're talking about marriage and things like that, but we're going to jump in and today we're going to talk about this because if we were to identify or try and define love, if I asked 100 people to define love, they would all have a different definition. It's, It's just kind of a given thing, especially in today's culture. Today's culture says, well, love who you love right? And what we have to do is begin to align our lives with the truth of God's word. That love doesn't mean I pursue in passionate sin and lust the things that my body desires. Love means that I pursue God in the holiness. And as a result, because of God's holiness in my pursuit of him, then I align my life with the truth of his word. So that's the first three things. And I want you to understand as we jump in, we talked about the barriers last week. As we talk about marriage and relationships, all of us build barriers, right? We just talked about it with pride last week. It's called sin, right? And every sin I perform or every sin I do is a barrier between, number one, my relationship with God and my relationship with others. So if it's self-centeredness or pride, that's the first barrier that might go in. If it's a lack of responsibility, right? I don't want to accept responsibility for my actions. I just want to hold a grudge. Like I'm in an argument with my wife and I really don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not accepting my part. No way. Not going to happen. So I just drive another wall or a barrier between and, and it, it just continues to go on and on, right? It's not just forgiveness or maybe I struggle with addiction. Maybe I struggle with pornography and I allow this outside thing to influence my relationship with my wife and I begin to cast things on her that I should expect from her when society or culture is trying to communicate to me something that I think is a value when reality God says, no, that's nothing but trash. You degrade the other person when you do that. When I don't want to accept responsibility for those actions and I continue to put other exterior things on her, other expectations, right? These unmet expectations that I have, I drive another barrier between my wife and I. And I do this in every relationship. It's not straight, is it? Well, you're not going to fit all of them in. But listen, every barrier I drive in is in reality as a result of sin. Every relationship I have when I drive a barrier in is a result of sin. I usually allow things in my life that are going to influence. Like somebody cuts me off, right? And I say a cross word, or maybe I get into an argument with my wife and I say the wrong things, right? Anybody ever been there? No, no. Just me? Uh I'll definitely own that part, right? I've said something I shouldn't have said, but darn right, she deserved it. She said something earlier that hurt me, right? It's like a balloon. It just continues to blow and blow up and blow up, and eventually what happens? It pops. Listen. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not, listen to this, self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then I love the first part of verse 8. Love never what? Fails. Can I tell you the reality of what takes place in this? Here's, here's the reality. Good marriages don't just happen. Good marriages, healthy marriages, strong marriages are built on love. The definition of love that God gives us. The definition of love that God lays out for us in Scripture. And listen, I would challenge you to go home. Look up every use of the word love in Scripture. Every time you see love, you'll see a definition based upon what God says love is. So good marriages aren't just built or don't just happen, right? That's what society oftentimes wants to say. They just, they just kind of naturally take place. No, no. Good marriages are built on love. So true love, I've got three things today that we're going to kind of unpack from this. True love is this. Number one, it's exclusive. A true love is an exclusive love. Now, it's important for us to understand what goes on right here. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through, really, verse 12 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So love is a supernatural overflow of what God's doing in my life because God works in my life. As a result, it's a supernatural overflow that takes place. And when I love, I get to express the love of God towards others. And also, you don't fall in love. Falling is like an accident. Like, I don't know of any people, (laughs) I don't know of anybody who falls, like, on purpose if you're not a toddler. Um, I know there's been a few times that I've been out running and I have fallen, and it is never on purpose, ever. Um, <laughs> our dog tripped me one time. I fell over absolutely nothing one time. You know, it's just falling is an accident. And so if you fall into love, you can fall out of love, right? It's like, oh, I accidentally fell in love. Well, no, love is a choice. It is something that you have to choose. You don't fall in love because if you fall in love, you can fall out of love. So love is a choice. And there's definitely times that emotions are attached to that that make you feel like maybe you're falling in love. But where it's the nitty-gritty is whenever things are not looking so rosy anymore and you have to st- have to make that choice to continue to love even when things aren't easy. Yeah, and, and keep this in mind. We're talking about marriage, right? But I want you to think about this, okay? First John lays this out here in a very simple thing. And when we talk about it, it's, it's, it's exclusive. I want you to understand what exclusive means. Like if we say it's, 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 it's exclusive, it's, it's restricted or limited to God, right? That God defined love, 
God created love. God is the one who orchestrates love. God is the one who will give us the power to love others even when we struggle to deal with them, right? That, that is limited to God. God's love is limited to him. But I also want you to see this. It doesn't mean you can't love. It means that you love through the power and strength and the blessing and encouragement of love. Now listen, everything we talked about here, if you read 1 John chapter 4, it jumps in even further because then he says in verse 9, this is how, listen, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. There's exclusive. There's the exclusivity of God's love. God's love is expressed through the exclusive work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus' death on the cross, and so here's what's crazy, right? These walls and these barriers, these sins, I'll get it, are the very things that, guess what? Are the very thing that Jesus died on. Jesus died on this cross, right? So that you and I could experience the exclusive love that he has for each one of us. That in the midst of my relationships, when I drive down unforgiveness and when I drive down those root things of sinful nature, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's false expectations, that when I do that, that's the very thing that held Jesus on the cross. The very thing that we use to set up barriers is the very thing God used to break down the barriers, the cross. The barrier that was set up before was sin. And God says, listen, you've got to deal with these sins and you deal with them through the power of the cross. That I died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And so as we jump into this, when we think about the exclusivity of God's love, we have to understand that his love is reserved for each and every one of us, right? The Bible says that the Lord is not slow in, in his coming, but his desire is that everyone would come to faith in Christ. His desire is that everybody would experience or at least hear the truth of the love that he offers. And so listen, over the next little bit, we're going to talk about this whole idea of these barriers. We talked about last week, right? Barriers build what? Or I mean, sorry, pride builds barriers, but, but, but humility, right? It builds bridges, and the reality is in your marriage relationship, in every relationship you have, you have the opportunity to build a bridge with love. Because keep in mind, those first three things that we just talked about, I could be a very spiritual person and have no love. And what scripture says is that means you're nothing. You have nothing, you gain nothing, and you're nothing more than a resounding gong. Here's the second thing. True love is expressed. It is expressed, right? So as we jump into that, listen to what he says. Love is patient, okay? So when he lays this out, what is true love expressed as? Patience, right? Every one of these words, here's what you're going to see in this. Every one of these words in the original Greek are verbs. Guess what that means? Love isn't something you feel. It's something you do. It's something you do. Matter of fact, I'm going to throw this out there, some old school Christian CCM type people. There's this old school DC talk song called Love is a Verb. Verb. There we go. All those of you are like, oh, I know what you're talking about, right? Love is an action word that has played out in my relationships. So in every relationship, my marriage, love is 
patient. That's an action word, right? Most of us think that that's a feeling, right? It's an emotion. It's, okay, I got to calm the inside. I'm going to get patient. No, patience is played out in your actions. Love is patient. I mean, how do you even begin to go down that road? Like, I I oftentimes think about how um, impatient I am. No comment. <laughs> like, like I show, I'm, I'm getting better. I, 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 I do promise. No, I don't promise. I do say I work on it, right? But I was joking around, and I was, t- I've told people in the past, don't pray for patience and don't pray for brokenness if you don't really mean it, because God will throw patience in front of you, or at least the opportunity to practice patience, and God will break you if you ask Him to be broken. And the one thing I'll say is if you don't legitimately mean it, you've got to focus on it. When we talk about this expression of it, that love is patient, I have to learn what that means. Patience means to bear with one another's faults, flaws, and sins. And that's why... The barrier, right? That's why we can't rely on our feelings because as soon as somebody tests our patience, then our feelings lead us astray. Anybody ever said that? You're testing my... You're really testing my patience. I'm about to snap, right? Patience, listen, here's the thing. We talk about this, okay? But if I respond with patience, then I begin to deal with the sins that are going on here. If I respond with vengeance or out of a frustration and anger, then I don't deal with the issue. I rather just continue to build another barrier, another problem, another situation. I nail that sin down deeper inside and I just create a wall. With or against my spouse or against somebody else. The interesting thing too, how how many people have been in a in a situation where you make a snap judgment and then you realize later that it was the wrong thing, and then you have to go back and apologize. Oh, the man. thing about patience is, if you're patient and you're getting the to the bottom of it. You don't have to go back and apologize because you already know the story behind it. So um, I love this. Patience leads to wisdom, understanding, and correct actions, while a lack of patience leads to foolishness, anger, and regret. Yeah, like, like think about James says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, I've said this before, right? God gave us two ears and one mouth. In other words, we should listen twice as much as we talk. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows that's a problem, right? So, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those... To you every week. It's, it's one of those things that we play out. So love is patient. And listen, Jesus played that out, right? It says that he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to faith, all to understand the good news of the gospel. The second thing he says is love is kind. Listen, Jesus shows us his kindness in sending his son. That's what we just talked about. For God so loved the world that he sent or gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the kindness of God played out day in and day out in our relationships. It's important for us to see this, that all of love hinges on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That love is a result of my relationship with God. 
And people, I, listen, I, I've heard people say, you can't tell me I'm not a believer. You can't tell me I don't love somebody. No, but what I've seen is most of the times that love is usually based upon a feeling. We rush to, to decisions. We rush into relationships. We rush to actions. And then we end up in a predicament or a problem. And the easy way is just to quit. I give up. I'm done. But listen, love is kind. Think about that. Do you speak kind words or do you speak frustrating words, angry words, right? So love is patient. Love is kind. Listen to this. Love does not envy, right? In other words, it doesn't get envy or doesn't get jealous. Like, think about that. Are you jealous over somebody else's relationship? Do you envy another person's spouse Do you wish you were out of the circumstance or situation you were currently in? Like all of those things play out. Jesus gives us this idea, like the the, the displays of love that Christ shows are huge. And he didn't envy anything. And you've heard the saying, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. One of two things is happening. That side. Either... Either the person on the other side of the fence is watering their grass, right, to make That'd it That'd be green. me. I take care of my grass. She kills, she kills every plant in the house. I'm plant hospice. They continue to die. <laughs> Wait, joke. <laughs> it's not really a joke. I own it. <laughs> but either somebody is watering the grass, so they're putting the time in to care for the grass, or potentially the septic tank may be leaking. And what I mean by that is a lot of times we only see what somebody projects to everybody else. You know, the social media is notorious for you seeing what people want you to see. It's like, oh, my children are perfect, my husband is perfect, my, you know, all these things. It's just like, oh, it's just wonderful, my life is amazing. And then you go and you actually spend some time with them and they're a disaster. Yep. So it's not always as things appear. Either they're putting the work into it to make the grass pretty and green and lush or the septic tank may be leaking. Yeah, the third thing he comes to, he says, or the next thing he says is love does not boast, right? You ever been in this situation where it's like, I always and you never, right? Or you always, like, guys, let me just tell you real quick, you never get anywhere in a conversation when that, when that comes up, right? If, if my wife approaches me and she says, I feel like you're not listening to me, I can't sit there. But if she goes, you never listen to me. Well, hold on a second. I do listen to you. But when she says... Two times last week I listened to you. (laughs) (laughs) So then you start like bringing up all the times that that's not true. And and listen, this this comes with, to a certain extent, experience, right? Like when we first got married, she was the one that holds everything in. Like her family, they didn't talk. They didn't discuss things, right? So it'd be hold in, hold in, hold in. And I call it the balloon syndrome. That was the balloon, right? And then... We'd be six months down the road, and she'd go, wait a second, you did this? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, statute of limitations is up. (laughs) Right? Like, that was six months ago. You can't throw that in my face. And listen, 
But that's an issue that we had to talk through, right? Because pride deep down inside wants to go, no, we're not bringing this up, right? And the boasting is like, you didn't deal with it when you did. And I have to learn to say, okay, we need to talk about this, right? And, and like I, w- one of our conversations, like as this jumps in, if I want to represent and live out the love of Christ, then I have to learn to listen to my wife. And I would say, listen, I, I, know, you, I know you didn't grow up this way, but I want us to have a conversation. Like when you feel this, you've got to talk to me. And that's why sometimes people will look and they'll say, golly, you guys, because she doesn't let me off the hook. Like if you're around us long enough, you know that my wife is going to call me out on things and she'll do it in front of, I don't care who it is. You're a teenager over our house or it's an adult. She's going to be like, oh yeah. And I mean, it's like on, right? But that's the way we've kind of come to, to deal with this. But we do it, listen, in a loving way. She's not like taking my, like I think about like, she's not taking my head and like giving me a swirly or just jamming my head down. Like, see what you did? And just, you know, or like when you teach a dog or a cat not to go to the bathroom in the house, you rub your nose close to, you know, she's not doing that. She's like, look, we got to talk. And it's not boasting in herself. It's not pride on her part. And I have to own my own, that I'm not being prideful and not listening right? Listen, some of the greatest things you could do is just learning to listen to each other. Quick to listen, slow to speak. That we can have a conversation in a very loving way. Listen, a loving way, not an attacking way. And this is free. This isn't even in our notes. But if you listen, you don't listen to respond. You listen to understand. Because that is two completely different things. And, if you're guys, listening to respond, it's like, oh, I'm going to fix you, <laughs> rather than, okay, now I understand what you're saying, what you're feeling. And, and let's be honest, guys. Most of us listen to what? Respond. Because Fixers. what do we do? I'm going to fix it. Yeah. I'm going to create or help this problem out. Like, you need to do this. And she's like, no, 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 no. You're not listening. And you're like, what are you talking about? I am too listening. No, you're not. You're trying to respond. I'm trying to get you to understand. And there is a difference. So, so love does not boast. In other words, we don't exalt ourselves over others, over my spouse. I don't treat them like trash. And let me clarify a couple of things, because I've heard things in the past. A wife is to submit to her husband. 100% yes. Based upon scripture, Ephesians chapter 5. She is to submit to a husband who is a godly leader who loves her like the church. And let me be very clear. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says this, prior to 522 through 527, that people love to quote. 521 says this, that you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a mutual submission that takes place. My wife is not subservient. We work together. We are not two, but one. And when you view your wife as subservient or submissive to the point that we're not two or we're not one, but we're two, you miss the point of the gospel because Jesus says, I came to have two become one. And so submission, yes, when I lead her with a godly example, why? Because it represents Christ, that when I lead with a Christ-like passion to say, hey, we're going to pursue Jesus with everything, and I love her the way this is laying out, then she mutually submits because, listen, she loves you, and she loves Christ first. And so as a result, you are 
getting or receiving a relationship that you could never imagine. Right, and that goes along with that love is not proud. Right. I mean, if I'm constantly saying, yeah, I, I know the thing, the best thing, I'm, I'm going to kind of push my way through and just to get my way, that is not an example of submitting to each other. Yeah. There's definitely times we're not on the same page with something, but it, after talking and listening and trying to understand, we usually can get to a place where we're like, okay, yeah, we can move forward with this. Like, yeah. I, I don't necessarily, it's not the thing I would have picked, but because I, I know that you love Jesus and I know that you love me, these are steps that we can take. And, and listen, I know some of you didn't grow up in Christian homes. Matter of fact, maybe a lot. It seems there's more and more of that. Like we, as we've grown up, as we've, as we've connected with people, they're like, man, you guys both grew up in Christian households. You, your mom and dad invested in you. You guys went to church regularly. We didn't have that. Listen, I want you to know this. Like this is not because we grew up in a Christian household. This is because Jesus has taken over our life. That when we live love out, like Jesus talks about, we get to experience what Jesus calls life more abundantly. You want to have abundant, fulfilled, joyful marriage? Live it out based upon the standards that God sets up. If you want to have a heart-filled, heart-ached, painful marriage, just continue to do things the way you've always done it and practice what the world tells you is going to be beneficial, and you'll continue to get the same things, right? Right? So listen, he says, love is not rude or self-seeking. Do I put the other person first? Then he jumps in and he says, it's not easily angered. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Is your first response to fly off at the handle? Is and your if, first response to go off? And if it is, then you're not approachable, which right. means that you're building these barriers. You've got yep. these walls up in between. Yep. Um, also, it keeps no record of wrongs. This is um, so. This is the balloon. Aspect, important right? <laughs> with well, and you know, it's important with with how we deal with conflict, which we're going to talk about that next week. That one's going to be really fun. So you need to come back for that. Bring one. in the boxing gloves. Whoop whoop. Um, so, <laughs> um, but it keeps no record of wrongs, and you have to learn to fight. For each other. Wow. Let there be light. Rather than, <laughs> rather than with each other. And so a lot of times, you know, whenever you're dating or whatever, it's easy to fight for each other, you know, especially if people are saying, oh, well, you shouldn't be together for this or that or whatever. And then all of a sudden you say, I do. And it's like, mm, they were right. We shouldn't have be together. And all you want to do is just butt heads and fight with each other. But the thing is, like, once you're in that marriage relationship, you have to be disciplined to fight for each other rather than with each other. Yeah, and the first nature is to fight with each other, right? First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, love covers a multitude of sins, right? And I want you to understand this. This, this term, in, in as, as if you were to pull out the Greek, and I know most of you don't really care about this, but in the Greek, there were four definitions of love or words that were used... There's storge love, which is like, oh, I love pizza, or I love the Chiefs. That's storge love, right? Then there's, there's phileo love, which we get Philadelphia rights, brotherly love. It's friendship love. Like when, man, I love you, man. You're my brother. Okay, there's that brotherly love, okay? Then there's 
eros love, which is erotic love. It's like the sexual type that takes place. It's where we get those terms. And then there's agape love. And agape love is unconditional love. Matter of fact, as you look through this, when it says God is love, like in 1 John chapter 4, God is agapao. He is, he is the unconditional love. He has no conditions on it. I love you regardless of your sin. That's why Romans chapter 5 verse 8, right? For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even in the midst of your sin, right? That Jesus died. That is the expression of an unconditional love. That's why when people tell me, I got to get my life straight before I go to church, wrong, you're missing it. Unconditional love means Jesus makes your life right, right? And you need the church to help you out, to walk you through this, to, to get through the difficulties. That's the point of church. Like, Church lifts up high the name of Jesus, but we are a body of believers that come together so that we can grow to love Jesus more, but we can help hold each other accountable and pray for each other and walk through the storms and difficulties. And that's really where we want to kind of wrap up. The third thing we said, true love is number one, exclusive. In other words, it stems from God because he created it. True love, number two, is expressed. It is lived out. It is an action word. Love puts into action. And then number three is this, it's extraordinary. True love is extraordinary. Listen to what he says as he wraps it up. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then he gives these four things. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Now, keep this in mind. We just talked about these barriers and the sins that God, remember Jesus on the cross, came to break down. But I want to talk about building walls of protection in your relationship. Building a roof over you to protect you from the storms. When it talks about this statement that it says it always protects, I want to ask this question. Do you put guidelines and, and, and guardrails in to protect your relationship? Are you open? Are you accountable? When your wife says something, do, do you listen to or do you neglect? As a matter of fact, I say it this way, that it is my job as the spiritual leader to protect this relationship. And when I protect it, I have to make sure that my roof isn't leaking, that I'm not letting something inside that's not. So that's why I say, you've got to put up guardrails to protect your relationship. Now, I've heard lots of statements and things like that, but I will never, and I'll tell you this, will never meet with a woman by myself. And you say, well, that's the stupidest thing. You're a person who's supposed to be above board. Nope. All it takes is one of you to see in a, in a meeting that I'm meeting with somebody, even outside. I'm meeting with another lady who's not my wife. The next thing you go back and somebody's like, man, I didn't know he was meeting with such and such. You want to know why? Because I protect this right here. I heard a pastor one time, and I've said this before, a greater men than me have fallen. It's my job to put in the guardrails and the roof that protects the house with which I have. My household, my wife, my kids, I am responsible for building that roof and protecting from the outside storms. Matter of fact, we've had conversations before where Sarah's come up to me and said, hey, I don't, I, she's just felt it before. I don't trust that lady. She was awfully weird around you. And I was like, really? Like, Call me clueless, I don't know, like I, because I'm not looking for that. But I was sitting there going, no, I didn't, I didn't think so. She's just being really friendly. And this was a church. She's like, no, no, no. No, there's ulterior motives there, right? And so I'll, I'll tell you point blank. 
I value this relationship way too much to ever put it in danger or jeopardy, even from just a simple rumor. I protect my relationship. And gentlemen, men, husbands, you have to protect your marriage. And sometimes, listen, sometimes protecting your marriage means you got to protect it from yourself. If you're not putting into practice verses four through six, then you're not protecting your marriage. And listen to what it says, it always protects. I take responsibility for actions that I may feel like I'm in the right. And I'll say, I'll own that. I have to own it. And I think whenever you look in scripture and you see things that are listed out, they're listed in a specific order. They're not just in there like, oh, okay, well, we're going to just stick love first. You know, when you talk of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, those are in order for a reason. Everything is very strategic. And I think that where it says it always protects and it always trusts, it leads you into that. If, you, if he is always protecting me, you know what that makes? That makes me be able to trust him because I know that he is putting my, uh, my needs and, and what, where God is leading him in our relationship, I can trust what he's saying and what he's doing because he is protecting our relationship. If you're making decisions that are contrary to something that's going to build walls around your relationship or a roof over the relationship, then you need to start questioning, uh, where you are in your own relationship with Jesus. And, and, and play it out just this way, because some of you are like, hey, I'm not married yet, right? But there are ways you protect relationships with friendships, right? I protect a relationship by not gossiping about somebody. I protect a relationship that when I hear something from somebody else, I can go to them and say, hey, man, are you struggling with these things, right? And, and those are things that got to take place. Look, marriage, huge, Unbelievable. And listen, I, I wish, I, I, I hope and pray that everybody can experience a marriage relationship that God wants to experience. Keep this in mind. We said this last week. Satan's desire is to divide and conquer, basically. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But God says, I have come that you may have life abundantly. And listen, I know some have dealt with the pains and the heartaches of somebody walking out. I know you've dealt with the struggles of divorce. I know you've dealt with a person not living this out, not following Jesus day in and day out. And listen, I, I, I don't have any other answer for you than this. In order to be successful in the future, that you set up a standard that is based upon the truth of God's word, that you're not unequally yoked. And please hear me out when I say this. It is important of this unequally yoked man mindset. Most Christians will say, I'll get them saved once I've started my relationship with them. You shouldn't date a person that's not a believer. And you may not like that. You may say, oh, no. Like check mark number one for me before I ever met Sarah, is this person a believer and are they going to push, push me or pursue Jesus with me? But if it the, wasn't, it was out. On the flip side of that, you've got to focus on being the right person before you're going to be able to pull in that right person. Yeah. Because I can guarantee you, if you're wanting somebody who is like some awesome, amazing Christian and you aren't spending time with Jesus and you aren't walking with him and you aren't coming to church and you aren't growing in that relationship, 
birds of a feather flock together. You know, they're going to be, you're going to be attracted to people who also are going to push you towards Jesus. So you have to focus on being that right person rather than finding the right person. And when it's time, God will bring that person to you. But if you're focused on yourself and you're one to make sure that you're being that right person, it's going to get you a whole lot further. Now, listen, I believe Paul's desire here in this, in this text was literally for us to understand what love would be defined as or how love is defined by God. All of us have little bits of barriers. I want you to understand, like when we come up here, we're not telling you that we don't have things we've got to deal with. We've got our own struggles. We've got our own flaws. We're sinners, just like you are, just like everybody else is. Just ask us about axe throwing. Right? What's that? Just ask us about axe throwing. Ask us about axe throwing. If you want to know a fun little story, (laughs) we'll we'll tell you about the fun parts of marriage. Maria thought, Maria and Joe thought Sarah was going to throw the axe at me. (laughs) It was tempting. So, but anyways, I, I I want us to understand this. Like, we have got to learn to deal with these as a couple. Deal with them individually. Deal with them as a couple. Deal with them with your friends, right? But love each other as God says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Listen to Jesus in John 13. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. That's the call. Jesus says, as I loved you, you are to love one another. Marriages, brother to brother, sister to sister, brother to sister within the body of Christ, as well as what I believe is this, that we love others who have never experienced the love of Jesus because that's what God has called us to do. Father, we pray with great expectation and great hope knowing that you have greater things in store for our relationships. God, we know, I, listen, I know we're, we have people on, in different areas of life. We have some who are, 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 are just beginning a dating scene. They were here talking about relationships. And God, I pray that they would just build their, their standards based upon your word. That God, your word is truth. And that we know that love is based upon truth, not evil. God, we know that Satan desires to mislead and destroy. But you have come to give us life and life more abundantly. And God, we pray for the the relationships. Maybe some are, are single, some have been married, some want to get married, some have been divorced. And God, we know that you can restore and redeem. That God, even if the marriage is not going to ever be recovered that you can work in a great way, no matter how the future looks, that God, you would draw them into closer relationships where they can express the love of Christ. Whether they ever get married again or not, they could follow in obedience to your word. God, I pray for the marriages here. God, some may be struggling, some may be barely holding on, and some may be great. But God, we also know that we're called to work on those relationships because we're not perfect. We're all sinners. We're all hypocrites in some way, shape, or form in reality because we want to walk 
in a way, but know that we may fail. But God, I pray that your, our marriages, that the marriages of the families here, the husbands and wives here would flourish, that they would take on the responsibility and the need and say, I need to work on this. I have to invest in this because I want to reflect the love of Christ to my wife or to my husband. So Lord, we pray that you work as only you can do, knowing that your spirit is the one that convicts and guards. It guides us in the ways of truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.